Howdy. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Wise Content Creates Wealth. You heard that content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. This podcast is about understanding how you can make and utilize wise content to improve your financial success. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, and I'm a marketing technology expert who's built a multi-million dollar business. I'm also an award-winning content producer. My company is Galileo Tech Media, and we are a leader in providing wise content and smart SEO to, uh, to companies ar uh, around the globe. Uh, wise content is content that incorporates search science, behavioral science, AI, data, and process to make content that converts better and gets better rankings. Since 2014, we've provided this to a suite of global clients, helping them get maximum visibility in organic search, social media presence, and effectiveness with their marketing conversions. Besides this podcast, we run a monthly webinar uh, where we ask leaders, scientists, and uh, psychologists and others to expound in depth about subjects related to wise content and smart SEO. Read more about us at GalileoTechMedia.com and sign up for our informative newsletter that will let you know about our upcoming episodes and webinars. Our agenda today is AI automation and digital marketing. And our, my guest is Eric Vardon, who is a AI tech entrepreneur, C-suite executive and advisor. He's leveraging extensive experience in business development and startups. He has a broad area in broad areas of expertise, including brand development, digital strategy, communications, entrepreneur leadership, and sales growth. So, hi, Eric. How are we doing today, Joseph? I'm doing very well. So, you've had a fairly explosive career so far. Can you hit the highlights for us? Oh, so far, I don't know. I feel like I'm uh, maybe maybe near the end, but I guess not. I <laughs> no, you're still a baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I, uh, I learned very early on. Uh, I won't date myself, but uh, wanted to to build websites, and <clears throat> that's ultimately what I went for sc to school for. When uh, you know, when not a lot of people were doing it in the mid to late '90s, I guess. If if you can, well, I think we can both remember that back that far. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I've been in the industry ever since in technology and marketing, and uh, on the agency side, and and as an entrepreneur, always looking for the next uh, fun thing to to work on, and that's always led to you know, the, the next project uh, and super excited to, to be here and, and chat a little bit about it. So that's the, that's the quick version. Cool. You know, I was looking over, overlooking your um, LinkedIn profile and um, I see that you are a director of roller hockey in London. That's Tell right. me about that. That's, is that for your kids? No, well, it, of course, a little bit for me, a little bit for the kids, but yeah, we started uh, a, a not-for-profit uh, here in uh, in our city to get the kids going. Uh, there used to be a league here, not to get into the details, but it, it kind of fell off the wayside. So a few of us got together and figured out uh, that we'd get the, the sport growing again. And uh, it's a great way to spend time in the community and uh, make sure kids are, are healthy and active. So thanks for asking. I'm, I, you know, I, I really think, I really, um, I like that sort of thing. You know, I'm a, uh, I'm going to be 60 this year and I have three-year-old twins. <laughs> so all the help I can get in the community anywhere yep. is always beneficial. Uh, so, uh, so I just dated myself, but what the heck. All good. All good. <laughs> so, you know, um, I, you know, you, uh, you built an eight figure agency, right. Um, and it was one of the fastest growing agencies for uh, around for a while. And then you, yep. and then you sold it. How did, how did you do it? What was the secret of that kind of growth? And what was it like, you know, building it and selling it? Yeah. I mean, I think timing is a, is a big part. So, uh, in about 
2010, you know, a little about a year and a half after the downturn in, uh, in 2008, uh, clients, I think ultimately I had been in the industry, but the, the voices and the conversations and questions changed from, okay, here's some money work on a project and, and to here's some money work on a project, but make sure I know exactly what this money's doing, where it's going and is it providing a return and started to hear that more and more and more. So in 2011, uh, we started uh, Arcane, which was our agency uh, at the time. And ultimately, we just put math behind marketing. So we would work with our, our clients, understanding their business, work on some projections and modeling in terms of what their marketing budget should do and the income uh, that they were adding in and, and revenue that they should expect. And, and really just trying to have conversations in terms of you know, average cost per good and, and you know, average order size or uh, lifetime value and, and really just trying to put some business modeling behind their marketing, which they hadn't done before and really try to correlate it. And ultimately what we did was execute on, on some of those objectives and financial, uh, uh, financial uh, goals. And uh, when we started to do that, we saw fantastic returns. And again, in through 2011, 12 through 15, we grew from, you know, John and I in our basements to about hundred people and, and almost 15 million in revenue and three offices, four offices across Canada and clients all over North America. And, and we grew with our clients because we were giving them fantastic return on their investment in marketing, in content, in SEO and anything that we could do. Uh, and we compound that with new business and then the growth of both of those at the same time, when really it was just Google to start and a little bit of Facebook and then every other media option under the sun. We, we really just did a good job executing with our clients and grew from there. Did you, um, I read, I read in a blog post about you really being a proponent of packaging services, making a, your services into packages. Is that something that you did? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think for us, it was always providing the right type of package and solution based on the business and the need, the geography and the team and budget and all those great things. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it was really bringing in together instead of having multiple content providers, multiple agents, multiple SEO, the, the data itself continued to be more fragmented. So if we could centralize that and then centralize the services that we offered, of course, we would grow our bottom line. Uh, and revenue and growth, but ultimately we had greater clarity on the holistic view of a consumer. And, and with that power became, again, the ability to tap into that data to, to ultimately make more decisions on where the money or investment of marketing dollars and time should flow. Sometimes that opened up net new opportunities for services based on your question. Uh, and sometimes it uh, brought up services that we just haven't, you know, hadn't initiated for, for a client itself. But yeah, the, the packaging also added to the value mindset of a, of a customer thinking, well, I'm getting these five things. Now I'm getting 10, but I'm paying a little bit more than I was before, but seeing greater amount of value and service mm -hmm. uh, really is a winning combination. And so uh, that's interesting. So you'd get in what you would, uh, you start a new client with packages. And then, then as you learn more about them, you would customize it and customize yeah. the set of services they got. Yeah, I think we quickly learned that sometimes you take what you can get and try not to be too greedy, uh, proving yourself with a little bit of time budget or, or a client that maybe has been burned in the past or hasn't done it before is always the best way to show that you are going to do what you say you're going to do. And then from there, the trust is instilled and you can kind of add on value added services from there. So it does depend on the situation, but ultimately over time, we were able to combine our offering into a, a, a pretty succinct package. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, I um, 
you know, when, when you do, when you try to do custom, custom proposals for every client, you start spinning your wheels a lot. <laughs> you, know, well, yeah. we, you know, you, you end up creating a, a, a custom one for each one and then they're not even really serious or whatever. So it's better to get in with something fast that works, that you know works, get them to feel good about it. And then you customize after you know you have a paying client that's feeling good about your services, right? Yeah, I mean, you you, you bring up a good uh, a good point that leads me to think of sometimes as marketers or you know entrepreneurs, agency owners, what have you, business people, we, we think we can solve a solution that maybe we haven't done before. And sometimes or most often that is, driven by trying to obtain revenue or, or goals or new business. Uh, and so sometimes we promise more than we can execute on. And it can be a slippery slope because all of a sudden, maybe it's a client that's been around a long time and you're doing something new that you haven't before. If you're not setting expectations properly, you could really you know, alienate that customer. You could lose the customer and also lose confidence as well. So I'm, I'm always a proponent of Definitely trying and testing new things, but be careful to set expectations properly on exactly what you hope that your client's going to achieve. The last thing you want is to not meet those expectations and you know lose the business. And there's always the always the um, urge to try something new. You know, in this industry, we've always been on the treadmill of trying to be ahead of the curve, right? And trying to always got to keep on what's most relevant, new, and what's happening now. And sometimes you jump into it well. Well, before you actually can deliver it in a way that's profitable for you or the client. That's right. Yeah, okay. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's human nature more than likely, but sometimes we got to say no to that. <laughs> hey, it's, it's, it's a, one of the difficulties of my existence to say no to the new. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like these podcasts are new for me, but I think they're doing well. So uh, yeah, had to, we had to in the, this COVID times to... Uh, yep. To redefine, have you done things in these COVID times to redefine how you re you outreach? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, jumping from many many, we were so focused on in person relationships uh, for many reasons, being in service business and and all those kinds of things. You you know, we're accustomed to an old school way of thinking of you have to be in front of the client to then you know, something like this happens and you're forced completely 100% virtual and online. And we're, we're lucky, I think, being in tech tech companies that, you know, that part was easier for us having everyone having laptops, et cetera. But that mindset alone of, of just being able to communicate, you know, with these small examples of dogs barking and kids and adjusting to that, I know for everybody was unbelievable. That, so that's the easy one for sure. But um, a lot of the uh, as things you know, kept being delayed and delayed, it became not just, a, okay, we have to do this for now, but we're going to do this for the long term and actually really change and affect how we hire, you know, what our people look like in terms of locations we hire them in and the geography, uh, makeup, skill sets. So to me, that was probably the biggest mind shift of we can run businesses virtually, we can run processes virtually. And in many cases, I think it's going to lead to a better quality of life. Uh, in an engaged team. So to me, it really centers around those types of uh, adoptions. Cool. Well, when we come back, we'll talk about your new, uh, your new enterprise, Morpheo.ai. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates uh, Wealth with, uh, podcast with my guest, Eric Varden. So Eric, you've, uh, you've sold an agency, 
I see you've been in some your advisors on some other companies, but what was the passion that drove you to become a founder and work in the trenches again with a new company uh, called Morpheo? Well, I think that um, back when, as I mentioned earlier, during our original hyper growth stages, I mean, you got to think about going from a couple people in a basement to moving our office three times and buying a few companies and having offices across our country and uh, hiring staff and VPs, executives and bank loans and all the craziness that goes on, um, you know, moving to 100 people and that much revenue and growth was exciting and fantastic and unbelievable. One day, I remember, I'll always remember, we had 11 people start. We always do, we'd always do Monday kickoffs. We had 11 people start on one day. It It was crazy. Uh, all that uh, being fantastic, we we didn't see the bottom line of our business potentially uh, with expectations move as much as we thought we would based on where our top line uh, revenue was going. Um, so we started to, like we do with all clients, is look inwards and and really understand what our data was telling us. And we were seeing, you know, busy team members. Um, you know, being a little bit burnt out and maybe not as focused as he needed to on results. And so all of the things that we had promised and what got us to our success um, came down to uh, a a lot of repetitive tasks and and a lot of menial work that really wasn't engage, uh, engaging our expensive and unbelievable, you know, workforce and humans. Uh, So we started to build automation uh, to your answer. And we looked at, um, you know, different ways that we could take the mundane repetitive uh, tasks, uh, as well as the uh, the issues and mistakes that we were making that were impacting the results of our clients. And ultimately, that's where Morpheo was born inside the agency and really was built to, uh, to to be the growth engine inside that could to give us the automation and the growth that we were looking for and not ro- solely rely on on people. So, so Morpheo is now um, a standalone company and you claim to empower businesses with AI and marketing capabilities. What does that mean? That's right. Yeah. So when you think about all those, the, the tasks of a, a typical marketer, we live within the platforms of choice that we use, the Googles, the Facebooks, you know, the on and on uh, in terms of where we're spending not only our time, but also our clients' media dollars. Uh, I think what's interesting is that through Morpheo ultimately is built to protect us as marketers from the things that happen that impact the results that ultimately we're trying to achieve both for ourselves and our own businesses or for our clients. Uh, and we actually pulled 301 agencies and marketers and asked them what it was that was causing them the most amount of stress. And it was credit card failures, you know, misaligned tracking or broken uh, pixels, a credit card you know, going down, ads going down or turned on or off. Uh, just a few examples. And it was these types of things when you're running multiple campaigns or sometimes hundreds of campaigns, if not thousands. That when, when you really look at it, it's those fires, those issues that come up that ultimately take you or us away from the goals and our day-to-day tasks. So that all has compounded over the last few years onto just an, un, uh, an unbelievable amount of, uh, uh, of error-prone issues that face us as marketers. So Morpheo ultimately aggregates all of your marketing data and helps you address, flag those issues before they become mistakes. You can catch them and ensure that uh, your team is protected, clients are protected, and ultimately the campaigns are protected from the performance. Is that what you call the uh, anomaly detection software? That's right. And so we do this manually every day. We know what we hope our expectations are, at least in terms of what we want our marketing dollars or time or effort to achieve. 
And when they fall outside of those expectations, ultimately that's an anomaly. And so you're taking the simple mindset of a human and putting uh, some machine learning and AI around it so that it could uh, occur you know, whenever it needs to occur, but it's going to be caught faster and it's going to have more accuracy in terms of what that anomaly detection means and then how to address it. So I was reading um, your site and you had a blog post about uh, AI, your, your software and SEO. And yep. it, it made a, a point that with that anomaly detection, your AI marketing software can discover keywords and topics that have massive potential. What does that mean? Yeah, so we, you know, traditionally with SEO, fellow nerds, you know, you have your, the URLs or the brands that matter the most. Uh, we're always tracking against the content, the keywords, and, you know, the, the on-page and off-page uh, work that we do to see how that rank fluctuates, right, based on our competitors. Um, so it's a lot of manual work and almost impossible for us to know as marketers, when you have a key, keywords that we care about, and we have, you know, URLs and, and, and or websites or landing pages that we're monitoring, how do you know, both with our own and the competitors, the changes that they make that affect the Google rank, both positively and negatively? It's almost an impossible thing to do. So again, we put some software behind that. So ultimately, you're matching those keywords, you're matching the clients or your own data. And all of a sudden, we can start to then uh, address and detect what changes have the most amount of impact on that organic rank from a negative or a positive perspective. And we actually scrape and pull in that information in terms of, was it an H1? Was it a, an addition of a URL? Was it the content itself that was added that affected that page rank, good or bad? Morpheo can detect that for you and bring in those reports automatically. And, and uh, it's an unbelievable competitive advantage for sure. That sounds interesting. And, and I think you, I saw that you focus on really giving them the low-hanging fruit. That's like where the opportunities are, are the most massive, right? That's right. Well, I mean, yeah. we, all, we all have our own ways of executing in, in our workflow and our mindset at Morpheo is we don't want to take our beloved marketing friends away from the tool sets that we use and love, but we sure do want to protect them and we want to be able to flag issues before they become mistakes and allow them to then execute as they see fit. So even though Morpheo does have suggestions and we have unbelievable ways within our system that we can provide opportunities and ideas for marketers, but ultimately we're going to execute it in the way that each of us want to. And we're just trying to help, you know, save some time and, and de-stress our, our beloved marketers. So uh, I'm assuming your, your AI is using predictive analytics. Is that correct? That's right. Yep. Yeah. So is it, is, uh, is, why is it important for agencies to use predictive analytics? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's constant. I mean, the one conversation we have, nine times out of 10 is around budgets and the management on expectations of what budgets are going to do, how they're going to perform. And ultimately, what does that landscape look like from a forecasting perspective? So I would say it's probably our most beloved feature. We have sort of different various uh, options. You can have more of a, a, a basic uh, budgeting monitoring and then uh, more of an enhanced. Uh, in terms of the predictability, it's how can I forecast the uh, opportunities at hand? How can Morpheo and our, our AI help provide suggestions to those campaigns and or to where the budgets are allocated for better performance? And then what are the expectations that we as marketers can potentially pass on to our clients in terms of where we hope that those expectations and results are going to come from? Right now, it's a very manual process. It's really difficult to manage. And if you have a bunch of different clients or uh, with agencies, mainly with a lot of us with you know juggling all sorts of different types of clients, it's almost impossible to really control those expectations. So from a predictive manner, budgets is usually a, a big one because of the sensitivity around the investment of the dollars. 
and, and it's like I said, it's becoming more and more uh, apparent that all of us need help really trying to manage those expectations on budget control. Yeah, I mean, um, understanding what it even costs to do SEO is becoming uh, more and more difficult every day. So I, I can see where, um, you know, actually bringing that kind of uh, not predictive analytics into the process for pricing and budgeting for clients and helping them achieve what, what you know, it, it could be an infinite game. How many keywords do you go after? That sort of thing, right? So it, it yeah. never stops. That's the, that's the battle. And we never have enough time to invest that time into the most creative or problem solving ways that our clients are really hiring us, you know, to achieve or bring up. We're so focused on the day-to-day repetitive sort of mundane stuff and the keyword slamming and all those kinds of things, which are great, but you know, we're all in this business to really, tr- to, to solve problems that what gets us out of bed and gets us excited. So we just want to have more time to do that. So you mentioned you had done research. So you guys do quite a bit of uh, research. Uh, yep. and, you, and you had done a, another 300 digital marketing leaders. Uh, and they had highlighted their top three uses of AI as being gaining a deeper understanding of customer segments and optimizing of budgets and campaigns, which we talked about, yep. and automating manual data aggregation analysis. Do you, do you ta- have tools that target all three of those areas? Yeah, we do. And, and I think I'll, I'll mention the most recent, which is placement auditing, which is a really interesting thing. So all of us specifically being at home more than we used to, just use the example of, say, YouTube, where, okay, my daughter, you know, will sometimes use my, uh, she'll grab my iPad and just, you know, put on something for her, you know, whatever the, the commercial cartoon is, etc. cetera. Uh, and all of a sudden, I'm assuming she'll be remarketed to with, you know, maybe beard options or, or shaving options or men's clothing options because it's my phone, it's my device, and they're tracking against me. Well, all of a sudden, marketers are spending ad dollars putting it in front of my, do- my daughter. There's a whole issue there. Why aren't the privacy controls on, et cetera? So I'm just using yeah. a fictitious example, of course. <laughs> uh, nobody, ever, nobody ever does this and lets their kids use their phones. But uh, My three-year-olds never get a hold of my iPad. Never, you know? never. So, but how many times is this happening You know, in terms of how... Uh, from a wasted dollars perspective, uh, you know, are, are, are we allowing our ads to, to be served in, in improper areas? So again, again, one example that falls around the budget side, but ultimately it's around the campaign placements where it's really difficult to know. And Google doesn't really want you to know maybe as much as, as uh, we hope that they would. Uh, in terms of that performance, it's necessarily not their job either, but we need to. We need to know that that's being displayed in, in the audience that we hope with, that we're tagging and that we're profiling. Uh, and that we've segmented against. And if not, I want to change and retract and, and then move on to a different uh, performance option. So that's one way to use the, to use your question on how we're doing it from a placement perspective was to identify those issues and flag them so that we can allocate those dollars and ad sets in segments that are performing properly. Cool. And how do you, how do you, um, how does your software understand customer segments? Yeah, so the big piece is uh, how it works now is an aggregation uh, using uh, Google Analytics, and this is going to further move to to other platforms as well. But and many of these uh, options can be done. This one specifically, it can be done manually through Google Analytics, but also you'd have to do it on a, a daily or, or an aggregated perspective on a daily or an hourly basis or even weekly. Um, so interest levels, you know, how many, uh, what is the baseline conversion rate for different audience segments? Uh, we pull in all that automatically and are compiling audience segments 
in terms of then where they live, uh, household income will profile against that, um, different keywords, uh, attribution against different, uh, you know, social media platforms that they would hype, you know, use, et cetera. All those kind of things culminate into our segments feature, which automates that and displays it through emails or, or our Slack integration uh, when new segments are found, which then allows us to be able to retarget through, uh, through our platforms too. So uh, it's a really interesting way that marketers um, right now using subjective information can put some power of, uh, of our tool to be able to know more deeply around those segments, but the ones that are actually converting and buying, which is a big differentiator. Cool. Well, when we come back, we're going to dig a little deeper into the industry, uh, which you're playing in. Hi, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast, and my guest, Eric Vardon. So, Eric, um, you know, this podcast is about wise content, which is, I've positioned as being content that, uh, you know, is uh, modified by AI or big, you know, or information from big, big data or behavioral science or even s- semantics or you know, where, or where the process produces it in a better or more scaled way. Um, so where would uh, your software come into play in actually modifying or, you know, doing things with content that make it more effective? Yeah, I think it's um, probably from our perspective, it's, it's a little bit more technical in terms of content. So when I think of SEO uh, when I think of um, some of the performance uh, technical components of of what really makes a great SEO foundation, um, you know, perform the way we hope it to perform, um, some of our features uh, allow content marketers that have a strategic focus on both on page and off page use some of our auditing tools uh, in a really interesting way. Um, so it could be with new clients, it could be with existing, um, but we kind of have three different ways uh, to use our system. There's the automation side uh, of our business and and the analysis of ongoing SEO, uh, you know, more technical components of the pages to make sure that even if you have a new client, you could use our tool, do a quick audit and be able to see all the fundamentals from an SEO perspective that may or may not be uh, actively on or actively uh, engaged within the specific brand. So that's one big way. The other is to, uh, from a reporting perspective, be able to put in measures to uh, using the monitor, but in a way to reporting that you can actually share with team members or even clients or your boss or whatever, the types of uh, uh, successes that you're seeing from that type of analysis. Uh, we mentioned earlier, talked a little bit about our SEO competitors feature. I think that's the most obvious that is bringing in more uh, on-page real-life content changes that are affecting truly page rank, both good and bad, uh, in a way that can, can ensure placement is, is happening Uh, in ranking is happening in a way that you can protect yourself. Uh, And I'd say lastly, from a a budgeting perspective and from a suggestions perspective, looking at if you're in the performance side of campaigns, uh, what are the keywords and what are the successful campaigns and that those contents that are performing in a way that you hoped and being able to actually monitor and then affect change quickly on. So there's a a few different ways not to get into too, too many of the features, but we do take a strong approach in terms of content and SEO, probably more so than we do on the uh, organic side of content. Mm-hmm. So um, in this industry, there, I think there's been like a, 
a pretty a pretty dramatic increase in the AI in say the last five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you think that the, these capabilities capabilities have really focused, and, and where have they come from, and who's driving them? Yeah, I mean, I think um, timing is a, is a big one. So computing power um, and the sort of widespread adoption of being able to, um, you know, even go to, to university and create or college and be able to, um, you know, obtain a, a degree across machine learning and being able to actually apply that into more of a, a, a broader uh, industry, I think, is, is helping. So timing is, is one uh, and then the technical components of the software and the hardware being able to allow the, the computing power to, to match up. Uh, I think ultimately adoption uh, outside of the timing portion is important because we're no longer maybe scared of AI, you know, taking over the world. I think, you know, we view it really as a form of customer service in a sense where none of us want to do repetitive mundane tasks specifically in our day-to-day. We want to be creative. We want to problem solve, right? We want to be able to be strategic. And so that adoption of the mindset of saying, okay, maybe I can release 20% of what I do because I don't want to do that part anyway, which usually takes up 80% of the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be able to have that freedom and that the mindset that I'm not busy and I'm not as, you know, burnt out or worked is going to allow me to be a better person and human and marketer in this case. You know, that's the way we have the, the view of the lens of, of how all that's kind of coming into the timings part of, of AI. So um, there's, I think, that, and even more recently, there's been a big push now, a lot of tools that are cre- actually trying to create content with AI. Yeah. I've actually interviewed a number of co- companies doing that. Is that, is that a direction you, you're going in as well to actually generate content? I, th- I think um, we might be part of it in a very passive way, I think that, you know, depending on where our business grows, the content side for us is probably more centered around the creative components of content. Um, The natural language processing uh, part of AI, I think, is still uh, a long ways away in terms of being able to, to, to properly suggest, suggest content across multiple languages in a context that could be usable. So I just don't think that our business is, is sent to, set up, sorry, for, for that. Uh, but to your point, the creative components on images, placements, and the type of content, video, uh, you know, those types of things that are performing, um, that's, I think, a, a, an easier roadmap for us, uh, you know, over the course of the next year or two to be able to obtain. But definitely keep an eye on it. Uh, Joseph, it's a great question. I just think we're, uh, from an industry and technology, it's not definitely our focus. And I think we're a long ways away from seeing that truly as a reality from an AI perspective. Yeah, it, it, you know, that, you know, actually writing content brings up the question, and I know that you've spent some time thinking about this. Uh, of what, you know, that replaces one of the major jobs of people online is writing, you know, and then I think in general AI, there's a discussion to be had about the, the automation versus human work. Yeah. You know, what's the right balance? What do you think about that? Well, it's similar to creative execution as well, which is uh, with writing are highly subjective processes and, and again, highly manual and also very creative and they should stay that way. Um, but there are also very, um, so the word I'm looking for, um, structured, I guess, or objective types of, of performance-driven campaign writing, for example, that are really about conversion. 
mm-hmm. and and ultimately don't need as much strategic thinking uh, because they're a bit more of a commodity, right? So uh, let's say we can analyze 1,000 campaign AdWord uh, structures, and we can find out what the best and most performing ad structure is going to be. And Google does a lot of this all day long. It's going to suggest use this sentence with this word, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is a formulaic approach to a very objective way of executing on a commodity that is, you know, maybe the ad approach after a certain period of time for, let's say, Google ads or something like that. To me, that is, we're not far away from, if it's not already happening already, be able to, you know, uh, objectify that and being able to put it into an objective sense where it is really about the math and what's working. Great. But if you're going to think about a creative campaign or a way to tr- really bring uh, and, and, and create copy that's going to engage somebody through a blog or SEO practices or, you know, through storytelling. That's really what we want to do uh, as marketers and writers, or whether it's the mix of creative or content writing or, or copy work. You know, I don't think that's going to be replaced at any point in time and hopefully never, because to me, that's really the strategic part of, of you know, what marketers can do in a, in, in a good way. No, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think storytelling is the, the you know, an essence, an essence of human human behavior and yeah. it requires, you know, I mean, I, I don't think AI will, uh, you know, they, when we have interviewed some of the things they talk about machine automation and creating this content, and one of the things that they have a problem with is that if, it's, if the machine learning is not trained or too well trained, it actually creates duplicate content. And it's kind of odd, right? It's like yeah. too much data or not enough data yeah. using the same role, result. It's just, it creates duplicate, almost, you know, it spits out, you know, what you can find online somewhere else. So yeah. I mean, obviously they're training it from content out on the web. Uh, and it's in that sort of like in between space where, it can, you know, will actually produce content that's unique, but it's still, it's telling the same stories, right? Yeah. 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 So and while that might be effective the first go around on uh, say creating some content for SEO, in the long run it doesn't because you got to keep creating new stuff. You know, it, right. it just becomes repetitive. Yep. Um, so um, you know, the uh, one of the things that uh, I, 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 this is sort of non sequitur going into here, but we're talking about automation. You know, I, I, I read that you're big, you're big on automating. And that, and that you actually use Zapier quite a bit to explain some really great zaps for your work, right? Yeah. What are some? What are the things you you, you do? What are the, some of the things you do with your Zapier? I, you know, things like connecting your WordPress to your social media and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I I think just being in this industry for a long time, I remember before you know before even. WordPress was around, uh, there was something called, you know, Blogger, which was one of the original sort of blogging tools, right? And uh, uh, we, we had a, you know, sort of a, uh, a website for a community here in, in Canada on the design and exchange. And, and uh, we kind of hacked together. Um, it would spit out an, uh, an XML file. We kind of hacked it into Flash at the time and sort of created our own way that it would pull automatically updates on this content, et cetera. So we didn't have to hard code it into, uh, you know, into flash at the time. So again, dating myself, but I've all personally always been interested in trying to find efficiencies through uh, any way possible that can save me time. And the more time I have and the more automation, it continues to compound. Uh, and then, you know, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a recipe for being able to really do what you do best and not what takes up the most time. 
and I think you'll you'll see that in in you know many of the things that get me excited. But of of course, within our business uh, now, it's ultimately you know that at a you know one thousandth degree. Everything looks uh, looks for a more efficient way uh, to execute, and and I think now, given ever, we're we're in this you know crazy world of we're all too busy. Uh, time is the most precious thing we have, and so why would we do that? and execute on the things that don't get us excited. So yeah, I've always been a part of my, uh, my beliefs for sure. Well, I, 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 I actually do it quite a bit myself. And one of the things I, you know, combining this AI stuff with the, the Zapier, you know, I, I build syndication networks, right? To syndicate content, but you're essentially putting content out there that's duplicate of the content that, that's on your main site. But if you had an AI that could just rewrite the content, right? It doesn't yeah. matter that it's still the same story because it, you know, it's just slightly different version of the same story, but that's the purpose. So I think that would be a great, nice uh, uh, product to see out there. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, almost like a duplicate content uh, threshold. So you could see how close you are to the original content without uh, impacting the intent of the story or the content itself, but without, uh, you know, making Google angry from a duplicate perspective. Yeah, I like that. That's yeah, cool. cool. All right, so... Um, We'll take it. We'll take our last break, and then we come back. We'll talk about what you see in the future, and uh, maybe some of the other things that you're doing. All right. Hi, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast and my guest, Eric Vardani. So Eric, I uh, saw a quote uh, uh, out there on some, I think another podcast you did um, that I thought really is, is sort of the essence of what I think of as uh, why there's going to be more wise content. And it is, and you said the future isn't about advertising a product. It's about being smart enough to know when a customer customer needs your product or service before they do. Can you expand upon that? Where do you see that going, especially in, the, in what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always been uh, the sweet spot of, uh, of the mindset of consumer and trying to understand those patterns and behaviors uh, around the triggers that we as marketers can look inside, uh, look into our data for. Um, where, you know, we, we can find out kind of where they are in their, their buying cycle, um, you know, fairly easily. Uh, it's become more easy or readily available over, over time. Um, but yeah, there's, there's many examples. I mean, just even getting into the, the keyword examples uh, within Google, ex- example, like somebody, simple example I kind of always use is, you know, uh, searching new home versus new home near me versus I, I'm, you know, new home rates tomorrow uh, or new home rates, you know, you know, whatever those examples are, like a, a couple different things you can say is maybe somebody's uh, just interested in the home or they're, you know, really looking for rates. I mean, it's a, it's a simple example, but you can see the difference of the mindset of where somebody is sort of instantly. So, um, it's, it's one that I always use and it can correlate to, to, to many different types of things, but, um, you know, we, as marketers need to really understand and ensure that the different types of mindsets in those examples mean that we should be serving content that addresses the mindset at that same time. And I think most often marketers are, can be lazy and trying to have a one size fits all approach to our content or creative that I say, oh, that's good enough based on where the, you know, 
where the individual's at and have one static ad with one promotion when you should, even those four examples that I use should be completely different mindset with completely different content with unique images that are constantly tested all the time for performance. So, um, you know, that's the way we've always had a lens as marketers and even within our business to say, you know, think about it. It's like the old flyer model. You keep sending, you're already a customer and someone sends you something in the mail saying, Hey, why don't you become a customer? How angry that makes you feel. Well, there's no difference in digital. And in fact, it's hyper escalated because I think consumers more often expect that we can deliver them something at the right moment, at the right time with the right medium. Um, and I think that's only going to escalate as things kind of grow. And as our audience is younger, that grows older with more dollars and exposable income, but they're, you know, we've lived in this life cycle for a very long time from a technology perspective. So to me, that's how I would answer it in terms of where I believe consumer patterns shift that should affect the content strategies. Now, you know, um, given that, you know, people have a certain expectation of what's known about them and not known about them, you know, uh, I'm, I wonder what is the level of predictability that will be accepted? You know, as an example, a few years back, there was a story of Target knowing a woman was pregnant and, 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 yes. and, before she, and, and, tell, and advertising to her baby products before she told anybody and it freaked her out, right? Yep. Uh, and maybe that was just the nature of it just being a new kind of concept. But even today, you know, you talk to people and they're freaked out when, you know, they, they say something about, say, baby products and all of a sudden that baby product specifically comes up on a Facebook ad. And so they, are they listening to me and that sort of stuff? But, you know, more likely it's just from their behavior that they've been doing. Do you think there's a point where people will rebel against uh, the, the, uh, what AI is able to understand about them? I mean, yeah, I think your example is, is perfect. And I, I remember that happening and, and it's definitely a mindset of a different generation, which I will put myself in uh, as well. I just think that you know, that is going away for sure. Um, when I talk about customer service, I, I actually think, and maybe it's because I'm in marketing and I understand this stuff, I don't know, but uh, I almost expect that, you know, I get in my car now, I turn on the car and Google knows that I'm going to work, for example, that is helpful. So right? And maybe I'm not going to work and I'm going somewhere else that day. Um, you know, but the types of ideas where if it's not creepy, if it's not intrusive, and it, it is actually helping uh, with what I'm trying to do. And if I am pregnant, and I am going to be looking for then I would want a smart brand to be able to think about what I'm going through as a pregnant woman looking for, you know, the things that I'm looking for. I think that's okay, if the line is not crossed. And to me, that's where the customer service comes in. That to me is a smart way of the brand can look at their data to say, I'm going to provide value and bring them into my ecosystem and community in a way that shows that I care and I know my audience. So to me, that's the balance. And you're right, definitely brands and, and companies can probably take advantage of it. But I think we can all see through it now. And that's to me more detrimental. Cool. So you got, uh, we got I'm gonna, we're going to close it up here. You got any new projects you're working on that you're excited about? Do you want to tell, tell us about? Well, yeah, I mean, all, all, all the time, I think it's, um, I mean, the, the biggest thing to me, I keep looking to the right, because I'm a fan of, of, uh, of, of cryptocurrency. And I think it, it to me, represents um, a really just big shift, both uh, from a financial and a currency perspective, but also how, you know, it's sort of dividing this mindset of, you know, what is right and what is wrong. And, you know, with COVID and pandemic and with, you know, fi you know, finance and currency changes and all this stuff going on at the same time. Uh, to me, I'm quite interested in how that is going to impact 
consumers, how it's going to impact commerce, how it's going to impact our business of, of, of marketing and data. Um, and so I'm, you know, really interested in, in where that takes our industry, because I think it's going to have more impact than a lot of people think. So that's one area of interest, uh, you know, personally, that I also think links into everything uh, around commerce and finance. And, you know, quite excited to, to see where that goes. Fabulous. So is there uh, ways people can follow you and talk, you know, keep track of what you're thinking and talking about? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is is still the best place. So uh, you can find me there. Just uh, do a Google search for Eric Vardon, V as in Victor, A-R-D-O-N. Hopefully it's uh, linked somewhere, Joseph. I'm, I'm sure it will be. But yeah, yeah uh, connect, follow. I'm happy to have any chats with anybody on this stuff. It's, uh, it's my passion as well as my, my work. So uh, anytime, come on and reach out. Well, fabulous. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, and I will be sure to follow you as well. So you're a very interesting chap. Well, thank you, Joseph. Uh, Thanks cool. for So uh, this podcast is part of talkradio.nyc. Um, we're, it's a, 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 a podcast network that has live podcasts every day. Uh, the one uh, following, I think following this one is Jeremy Fox, host of the Entrepreneurial Web. I recommend you watch that. I also have another podcast on this network. It's called Gateway to the Smokies podcast, uh, talking about the Great Smoky Mountains. Uh, we're a destination marketing firm, and I happen to have a destination down there called the Middle Arc Motel Resort. Um, and so I talk about the Smokies as a way of both the demonstrating our, our marketing approach to destination marketing and also to talk about the, this place that I love. As mentioned before, my company is Galileo Tech Media. We help those in charge of marketing campaigns who need to know which tactics will best persuade prospects to buy or take another course of action. Uh, we use hard data as part of a wise content plan to illuminate and substantiate key decisions revolving around content. Uh, we make companies have better organic connections with their customers. Uh, you can find us at galileotechmedia.com. Uh, this bod podcast has a website. It's wisecontentcreateswealth.com, where we list data and information such as the LinkedIn uh, uh, profile of our, our, our guest. Uh, we also stream live on facebook.com slash wisecontentcreateswealth, and that's the full Zoom video that streams live. Uh, those Zoom videos also are provided recorded uh, on wisecontentcreateswealth.com. Um, and I want to thank you all next week at the same time on uh, Fridays from one to two. We will have another great episode about wise content creates wealth. And uh, again, thank my guest, Eric Vander, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>